Welcome back to the Bond Revisited podcast. You are listening to part two of episode six, where we revisit and rank on a Majesty's Secret Service. Now that Bond has found out Blofeld's location, he goes undercover as Sir Hillary Bray to infiltrate Blofeld's operations. Join us as we take a look and eventually add on a Majesty's Secret Service to our rankings. Uh, and with that information, we go from... Again, we're cutting a lot to different locations because we went from Portugal very quickly to Switzerland, the Switzerland Laura scene, to M's house, I'm assuming in England, and then mm. London to go to this college. And now we're straight back to, to Switzerland. And we cut to Bond. On, well, we cut to this tram uh, going along this quite snowy area with everyone hanging out of it, being very touristy, I guess. Uh, and then we see Bond come out of this tram to meet up with a woman, and Bond is dressed up as I would call it Sherlock Holmes. Oh yeah, it's vibes. Sherlock Holmes. This <laughs> is definitely with glasses. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to leave this to you. What did you think of George Lazenby disguising himself as a Hilly? Oh, Hilly! I, Hilly. I thought it was great. Now, the thing I did not like, uh, which we got a little bit of in that previous scene with the the College of Arms, so. What was the reason to have the the voice mimic? Because, well, I guess you can argue in the grand, in the scheme of the story, they've probably already spoken over the phone, so that's why Bond needs to sound like the guy. But it, what that has, what that means in terms of filmmaking, because apparently George, uh, George Lazenby couldn't do a very good impression of the actual <laughs> uh, Hillary Bray, they just dubbed him. They dubbed him of the actual guy. So. For large bits of this film, you get really, for me, like off-putting dubbed voice for Bond when when he's in front of Blofeld and everyone when he eventually gets to him. I don't know. It's just strange. It's a strange choice. Could you not have just said, oh, well, just not say anything? Why do you need to put on a a voice impression? Strange. Strange choice. It's strange. And I can't argue with anything you said, but I liked it. Did you? I liked seeing Bond go all in with actually going undercover. I mean, we spoke about it in the last episode with You Only Live Twice, where part of Sean Connery's Bond is like, he does not care at all. He is just going to be himself 100%, but just call me Bill or something. It's me, Bill. I'm completely new now. Uh, Mr. (laughs) Fisher, I think actually was. Oh, yeah, yeah. uh, Yeah, like he does not care. So I quite liked it, and I think it worked quite well as a, a new Bond He's going to go on to cover and actually put in all this effort. Again, it's different, but I think this is one of the cases where it was different and I actually quite liked it. It, it felt a little bit more distinct and it was nice to see Bond do a, a different type of spy work and actually put in some effort. Uh, you're not wrong about the dubbing, but I, I liked that he did have a different voice, even if they had to do it in a very kind of not great way. I I absolutely agree with the whole having to have this whole persona and disguise as Hilary Bray. Uh, and we see that in this scene that we're talking about where he meets uh, Bunt. What was her first name? <laughs> Good Frau- dude. No Frauline? idea. Frauline? But well, I think that's just like title. But yeah, uh, let's just call her Bunt. Um, <laughs> censor that. We'll have to censor <clears throat> that. He, uh, <laughs> he meets her and they end up... Um, well, what the point I'm trying to make is that they end up in a, on a helicopter and Bond as Hilary Bray is pretending to be anxious and, and getting sick, which obviously Bond wouldn't do that because he's been in many helicopters. So I like that. I really like that he's pretending 
to do that and doing a good job. But I just think, going back to the voice thing, and if if George Lazenby couldn't do a good accent or a good different voice as a disguise, just don't do it. Don't. If it was his own voice doing that different that that different accent, I would have liked it a lot more. But I think because I knew it was a dub, it didn't work for me. Anyway, I won't keep yeah, on about I mean, that. You're totally not wrong. But this these films so far have been so full of dubs. I think I'm somewhat immune to it now. <laughs> Right, it just doesn't yeah. it's just like part of the territory right you're gonna get some bad dubs and i appreciate what they were trying to do even if they didn't do it the right way yeah yeah that's true i should be used to it by now i'm still not though um i also forgot to mention that as bond meets bunt there we do see that one of uh draco's men is still there the blonde one is still watching he's no still that's there. not draco's men that's... is it not well maybe it is but I took it as being like a friend of Bond because he was British. Oh, okay. Yeah, because so I think Draco's yeah. men would not be British. He would be like Portuguese or something like that. He would match his personality or that kind of look. But I think they very intentionally, he was super British. Uh, and to me, that made me think, oh, actually, that's probably someone Bond knows potentially. Oh, you know what? I think you're right. In the book, I think it is someone like that. Yeah. But wait, was it not the same guy in the who delivered the uh, safe cracking? Yeah, yeah, kit? it was the construction worker guy. Oh, see, because that was like Draco's construction site, I just assumed it was one of his goons. But I no, think that, uh, like in that scene, yeah, I think that's a very safe assumption. But to me, right, once then, we yeah. hear him speak, I'm like, that's probably yeah, one of Bond's guys. Like when you start Bond. seeing him arguing later on, you're like, oh yeah, definitely British, definitely. <laughs> oh goodness me! <laughs> I want to get up. Can um, a man climb a mountain anymore? <laughs> I'm going to complain about this. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody ridiculous! <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, he, he's been he's got some help. Basically, he's been watched. Um, so Bond and Bunt, Bond and Bunt. That's a, I want to see that as a show. Uh, <laughs> they they end up going up to uh, his Gloria, which is where Blofeld is. And uh, this is like where your first proper meet uh, look of, of uh, Bunt. And I really like this character. I think she's great. I think they like really nailed the casting choice. Like she just looks terrible. <laughs> yeah. Looks mean. Like- she do- yeah, she doesn't get much character development. She's just this quite unpleasant woman who works for Blofeld. And for that, yeah. five stars. She pulls it off. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Something about her. I really I really warmed to her. Even really warmed was... to Bunt. <laughs> I love, I'm a big Bunt fan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they get to, they get to the, the Piz Gloria uh, clinic at the top uh, near the Alps. And um, as I say, Bond's doing his best to, to keep in disguise and pretend to be basically a nerd. Like, oh, I don't like sports. Oh, I don't like... Not a sporting man. <laughs> Not a sporting man. So, yeah, uh, very much keeping in with uh, being a little dweeb. But um, that doesn't really last for much longer, to be honest, when he meets all the women. But, yeah, um, they get to Piss Gloria. Great. I mean, this is where, where we were saying earlier the film kind of lacks those big vistas and those big scenic shots and really selling the location of the film. But you get it all here. Because, like, of course you would with these sort of views. You get these other shots of the mountain and all the snow and um, the chateaus and ski resorts, all the stuff they fly past. It's it's very, very nice. Visually very nice. Yeah, I agree. 
It's easy though. It's an easy thing to get right. That's so. that's what I was gonna say. I feel like a lot of the great shots in this film is because it's such a perfect setting for a Bond film. It's mm. just perfect. And it just looks incredible. And I was thinking that like last year I went to, to Iceland on holiday, which it wasn't quite as mountainous as this, but again, those sort of frozen snowy landscapes, I got to see a lot of those waterfalls and stuff. And it looks absolutely incredible. And seeing this in the film, it was so smart to do this. But like you say, kind of easy. I feel like in You Only Live Twice, the people behind that film, the director, cinematographer, they really enhanced the shots by framing them and setting them up in a way that made them better. Where this one was basically, it's an incredible view. So let's just point a camera at the mountains mm. and it's going to look great because it's camera at amazing looking mountains, but they're not really like enhanced by that. I feel like somebody who was a little bit, you know, if, if the people who maybe it's the same people and the same cinematographer, but I feel like a really great filmmaker could have really gone crazy with this and had an, an amazing looking film. And yeah. while it still looks good, just it doesn't look as good as potentially it could do considering the setting. Yeah. As you say, I mean, I can't, I just assume that wasn't a real place when I, when I was younger, like surely that's not a real place, that tiny little thing on top of a mountain, but it really is like, that's just mad. Yeah. They were a good find. Yeah, like it, like no green screen or set or anything, right? It's no. just get some cameras, look around. That's a film. Bob's your uncle. Uh, yeah, so eventually they land on this on the on the helipad. Bond saying, as you say, with the the uh, sickness, we get some very nice. I put string music. I I can't really remember a lot of the music in this film, uh, but this was another time where I noticed that the the music in this film is very different to the other ones. It just doesn't feel like a John Barry score to me and and this was kind of part of it it was a slower moment but it was just a very different kind of style um but after that they go inside uh she calls hold on let me see if i can get this right so yeah so basically bond gets sent away so he's still in his big nerd get up she's like off go over there to your room and <laughs> bunt i don't feel comfortable saying that word but i'll get used to it uh, then goes to the phone and calls someone who is Blofeld, basically. What? They don't outright say it, but <laughs> we get a shot of the camera right above him. We get the bald head. We get the cat. Yeah. And I want to say this is the only time in the whole film we get to see the cat with Blofeld. We see the cat again, but only because <laughs> only because this bit stood out to me is he literally he dumps this cat on the table at one point. Like He just throws it. He's done with this cat. <laughs> but yeah i think we get the cat at least one other time okay fair enough but it's mostly for this scene like they don't show the cat that often but in this scene of somebody on the phone it's like yeah okay if you want to tell people it's blowfeld then here you go and i did actually quite like that they were like giving us the classic blowfeld kind of look and shot and it was a very different looking kind of shot compared to the other ones but it was nice to be like oh yeah blowfeld like, we already knew it was him, but it was nice to have that confirmed in that way. I guess this is part of a wider topic about about this Blofeld. Maybe it's something more for the end, but I just do, I do wonder, like, what would this film have benefited of Blofeld not looking like, you know, the bald, the bald man with a white cat? But then that kind of goes against what else they've done in the film, trying to connect them together. But, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I think it would have been more interesting if it was actually not the, the stereotype... Well, I guess it wasn't a stereotype then, but, you know, that what they'd set up in the previous film. Yeah, maybe. Like, if this was this basically the exact same character and villain, 
but he wasn't called Blofeld. Like, would that actually make it better? I don't know, but potentially. Mm. So yeah, Bond was sent to his room where he uh, drops off his stuff and does a little uh, snoop around the room, I guess, for bugs and things like that. Because it's, it's sort of explained to him how the clinic works and it's kind of strange how you're effectively locked into your room. Um, you have to buzz to get out and stuff like that. So, you know, alarm bells ringing is a very strange setup. So he's looking around and trying to find stuff. I don't think he actually does, though, in the end. Um, but gets dressed and uh, gets ready for dinner with Bunt. Um, I'm going to say it like Bunt. I feel safer saying Bunt rather than Bunt. bunt. Yeah, maybe Bunt's better. <laughs> and... Uh, this is another another shot that really stood out in my mind beforehand is the shot. He comes out, he's got dressed, ready for dinner, for drinks, whatever it is, in the main room of this of this place, and he's in the kilt. If, yeah. I guess you know Hillary Bray is is of Scottish ancestry, so he's got a he's got to match up, and we get Bond in a kilt, and it's just um like wow, there he is. He's got the little pouch and everything. I don't know. I don't think it looks bad, but it's like oh. That's different. <laughs> yeah, it stands out, but you know, I'm going to stand by what I said before. I generally quite like the way Bond dresses in this film. It's very distinctive and very different. But it's like I'm kind of here for it. Like not so much the frilly shirt because I think that's a bit too much. You know, I've got standards. Everyone does. Uh, but yeah, I like the kill. Something, something different. If this was a webcam podcast, Tom, you'd see my frilly shirt right now. Just, and tears rolling down my jeans just like humph and just like flick the frilly to the side <laughs> uh, so yeah Bond goes to uh, the main room and um, and meets Bunt and this is where we're introduced to the uh, all the other women in this film <clears throat> the angels as they're later described as of this clinic which is um, basically there to solve allergens we find out all these all these girls have had allergies and they're all here to be cured they were allergic to chicken or allergic to i don't know plants um it's it's a very it is strange i always forget how strange this part of the film is in the clinic because as i say earlier we don't know what's going on here we're learning at the same time bond does we're learning that this place does allergies and there's all these women here and they're all kind of a bit strange they don't they were like very enthusiastic and happy to be there and yeah, and they're all kind of different different ethnicities from all over the world, and and you sort of like what is going on in this point of the film, and I, you kind of see that in Bond as well. But um, obviously, with that many women, it's a great a great chance to have uh, some quips and stuff because they're all sitting down for dinner and talking about why they're there, and Bond is giving his his uh, his textbook memory of all the the heraldry stuff that he was learning, which again is good. I like how you're seeing the effort the process that Bond has put in to become this persona, you know, actually doing spy work, rolling off all this stuff about crests and, uh, yeah, titles and all this sort of stuff, nobility at the dinner table. As is the case with a lot of this film, I did think the editing was a bit strange because it ends up being a bit of a montage of them eating dinner and and discussing, and it's kind of weird overhead shots of food being eaten, which I thought didn't really work. I don't know. Again, um... it's thing but it looked weird to me 
It does look weird, but I like it because it ties into what you're saying about how this is all very odd, this setting with all this, these women who are overly enthusiastic in this like resort in the middle of the Alps. Yeah. And I feel like what this scene does of all them eating. So basically all this food comes out and all the women have like very different types of food. Like I guess it's just whatever they want to eat and whatever they like. So I feel like one has like just sweet corn and one has like chicken dippers or something like yeah, yeah there's a big range and bond has a steak but yeah again it is very uncomfortable but it ties into something that i like about how they present this area and calling them the angels and i think they're eventually called the angels of death but this is supposed to be otherworldly this is supposed to be a very strange bizarre place where something isn't right so even if maybe in that moment it doesn't make sense to have all these uncomfortable cuts of them eating their food, you are supposed to be uncomfortable like Bond is, and this is supposed to feel very weird and different. And I like that they kind of emphasize that with the the editing style. Um, so I actually really like this. I really like this setup because of how different and weird and unsettling a lot of this is. Did you like all the golden ball talk? We are, yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, just that's that's the sort of you know that's the other end of it where you're getting back to familiar territory it's all weird but it's not too weird because we get all yeah one of the markings on a crest is is golden ball as described and they'll start giggling oh, how many have you got i've got three <laughs> uh oh and i should i should also mention that bunt is there and she's being very um very strange she's being very secretive with the information that the, all the girls can reveal and uh so kind of keeping them in their place sort of as a headmistress type thing which you could sort of gather anyway, judging by the way she looks. But this sort of solidifies that you know she's uh, she's definitely hiding stuff going on. Yeah, all very strange. This so this eventually leads to one of the women. Is this Ruby initially? Yeah, the one from I want to say Manchester, somewhere chicken farm is all the thing. That's the thing I remember. Okay, chicken farm lady. Chicken farm lady. Uh, basically, is like, hey, you should come to my room. And uh, Bunt's like, no, that's not happening. So because Bond is wearing a kilt and Ruby somehow has a pen, she writes something on the inside of his leg. And I don't know which way round this happened. Did they come up with the kilt and saying, okay, what's a sexy way that we could have a kilt scene? Or did they say, we want a woman to write something in the inside of Bond's leg? How can we do that? Right, we'll put him in a kilt. Hmm, I'd lean towards a second... But I guess it was it, it was uh, it worked well. It worked well in the end. Yeah. So he writes uh, or she writes something on the inside of his leg, of which Bond says just felt a slight stiffness coming on. Oh <laughs> yeah. Not... I, to, to be fair, that's probably the one that works the best to me. Yeah. Because it's so bad, it's good. Yeah, I quite in, enjoyed that one. But something that kind of happens with all this scene to to cut ahead a little bit where every all the women afterwards when talking to Bond directly is saying, oh, Hilly, I didn't think you liked women. And did you get any of impression of that in right. this scene? Because one, one of them says, oh, I know what he's allergic to. Implying yeah. he's allergic to women. Uh, no. Well, I guess it's just him putting on that persona and... and trying not to or trying to keep it up being a nerd that they that they just took that all at face value but there wasn't much emphasis on it for then how much they end up saying it so yeah i guess they're not trying to say he's he's gay or homosexual or anything like that i think yeah it it must just be you're such a bookworm 
you don't even know what you would do with a woman or something like it's i guess it's a very old school style of thinking of nerds aren't interested in women Mm. yeah i think you're right i mean he is a book nerd he keeps reeling off about all the books and and stuff like that so i mean and that's how they that's what the room stuff is all about because it's like oh i can show you my book of all the pictures and that's when she goes no that bloody book that book gets mentioned so often i don't think we even get to see it i was just like i'll show you my book and then she's like let me see your book and then and then uh not much reading happens after no let's put it that way yeah uh yeah so after this then bond is taken away with but a man comes to get him and then we have actually quite a long section where he goes all through the base um, until eventually we get to this fancy office slash lab type Mm. area where bond then sits down and meets with well the count i think they call him the count for a lot of this film and straight away we know that's blofeld because we already saw him but i think they kind of make a point of Bond recognizes who this is because of the earlobes thing, where the guy in the College of Arms says he doesn't have earlobes. So now Bond has found somebody in this facility who doesn't have earlobes. So it's like, oh, okay, that's Blofeld. But I guess this brings me on to a point, and it's something that I think is very known about this film, where it's supposed, I think it's supposed to be part of the continuity, but there's just a massive gap here in the logic where. Blofeld and Bond have already met, but they just don't recognize each other. And yep. you just kind of have to accept that. Yep. I mean, it's fine It's fine to do that because it's just, you just go with it, as you say. With lots of things in Bond films, you just go with it. Uh, but you're right. It's because You Only Live Twice was meant to be the last one so in, in the trilogy of Blofeld. So it doesn't make sense. I think there was an idea of saying that Bond got surgery to look like Hilary Bray, which would then would have linked into being a new actor, which is probably more hassle than it's worth. I'm glad they didn't do that, to be honest, um, and try and explain away the difference. So, yeah, once you, if you get over that, that they should actually recognise each other, it's fine. But it, you're right, it is a big uh, continuity loophole. Was it not in the book? No, because th- this is the second book. Oh, so they hadn't met yet. They hadn't met yet. Right. Okay, that makes sense. But yeah, again, it's unfortunate. It's one of these things that kind of, this is very much supposed to be part of this continuity, but you just have to put that aside. And that does, again, help separate it out as its own individual Bond film, but it's not meant to be. And it's just a little bit weird. I mean, it helps that these are two completely different actors. So Blofeld is not played by the same actor as the last film, and Bond is not played by the same actor from the last film as well. So that that helps. It's it's good enough. It's just a, it's a bit of a shame. So my question is, now that we're, we're meeting Blofeld properly for the first time, we're getting actual dialogue between Bond and Blofeld. What do you think of, I think his name's Teddy Savalas, who plays him in, in this film. Like, What do you think of this version of Blofeld? I I think he's fine. I, I would say overall he's okay. He's not as like visually distinctive as, as uh, the, the last guy. <laughs> uh, oh, Donald Pleasance. Yeah, yeah, as him. Uh, but I think it's a very different portrayal. And I think he does have decent presence. Like, he does have decent presence on screen and him talking to to oh, James Bond. There is, a, there is a presence there and a little bit of a threat there. So I don't think there's anything to write home about. And the fact that he doesn't really have anything kind of visually distinctive makes him quite 
forgettable but i think he does a solid enough job like it's a solid enough job and i think he has a little bit more yeah again he's because he gets physical with bond later in the film and i think it makes more sense with this version of blofeld than if it was the one from you only live twice like he sells it a little bit better and i kind of like that they don't have the weird hand thing that they were trying to do last time like this is a more vanilla version of blofeld but i think it works well enough for this film Mm. it really it really is a different type of blofeld like as we go on to see later in the film he gets way more involved in the action aspects that you say fighting bond and doing that physical physical things i think and also this this blofeld you're seeing it in this scene mainly because of, I think Teddy Savalas. I think he's he's quite a cool guy. Like he's got a cool voice, like a really deep voice. And but Blofeld is cool in this film. <laughs> like, <laughs> I really like Blofeld, but I, in terms of like the actual character here, I think in relation to the film, I don't think it was a good idea, really, because, well, I think if this if they had tried to make this a little bit more of its own film rather than keep that keep pressing on about it's the same you know it's the same bond it's the same bond look he was in these ones he was in these ones i think if they had almost kind of i don't want to say reboot right because i don't think that would was reboots a thing back then but um if they had maybe just tried to start a bit more cleanly with this one with the new bond actor and had this new blowfeld actor i think it would have been great but i think now that we're getting this really cool blowfeld there's nothing like the nerdy Blofeld we've seen, as you say, with like the weird hand and everything and running away. <laughs> uh, it just doesn't really match up to me. No, I mean, it does help that they've been recast. And, you know, I said it earlier uh, in the podcast where if you think of this film as its own individual Bond adventure, you will enjoy it a lot more. Yes. If you try and tie it to the other ones, things kind of fall apart a little bit and your enjoyment of this film might hinge on your ability to kind of disconnect it or if you want to disconnect it or not. Yeah. Uh, So basically this scene with uh, Bond and Blofeld is quite a simple one where Bond is still pretending to be Hillary, the guy from the College of Arms, and he's asking like, oh, we've got to do this, this, and this, and this. There's lots of different things I need to do as part of the research. And Bond is almost like, it'll be a lot easier if you just came with me uh, out of Switzerland and we go somewhere else. And he's just like, nope. He's like, okay then, <laughs> fine. Uh, so that kind of wraps that up, and then he agrees, I'm going to do a ton of research. Or Bond agrees as Hillary to go and, and do a load of research, and he goes back to his hotel room. Yep, that's kind of it. So Bond is back in his in his room, studying. I think, I think he's reading some books. Uh, but get to the point now where, oh, we need to go see Ruby. She wants to go see those pictures. She, wants to go see <laughs> she the needs book. to see that book. She needs to see that book. So we get Bond trying to sneak out of his room as i say like you need to be you need to be let out from the other side so he has to break out of his own room um and tries unsuccessfully with a a bit of metal (laughs) and and actually kind of gave me a genuine jump scare when he does this so he tries to like slide it in the door frame and and unlatch it that way like with some sort of electronical sensor uh but yeah it's like this really it's silent and then there's this really loud zap it actually made me jump like scariest part of a bond film so far by far, a door. Uh, but he sort of insulates it with a bit of rubber and kind of MacGyvers it. And again, it's kind of nice, like making making use of the things he's got. And and yeah, basically makes a gadget to break out of the, the room and goes to room number eight, where Ruby is, what he wrote on his leg. 
and sneaks into her room and there she is on the bed and she's there kind of all seductively um but bond is there to get information obviously mm. uh, so he asks well yeah maybe not completely but <laughs> he does ask her a lot about all this um uh allergy stuff and how did he how did she join this clinic and just a bit more background to what on earth is going on because as you say that's a very confusing scene at dinner so trying to get a bit more information on it don't really think he finds out much to be honest i can't recall anything of much value he learns um, there's not much that she directly tells uh him just i had a chicken allergy and they they found me and then shipped me off here to give me a cure so she yeah. doesn't really know what's going on yeah that's true that is true uh so yeah anyway they end up sleeping together um and then is it do we get the hypnotism bit in this bit or is it with the other woman uh no it is with this bit but you, you missed one. off the old kilt sliding off <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh you're right and she's like oh it is true or oh something. it's true oh yeah, yeah so that was a bit uncut we didn't need that for bond we didn't need him dropping his his kilt and <laughs> the woman being like oh my goodness what a what a day this is I think that's the sexiest we've seen Bond so far, dropping his yeah. kilt. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, after they're in bed together afterwards, and I guess it's like later on in the night now, um, because at some point, like all the, the, all the lights go weird, don't they? And like it just gets yeah. very strange. Because I, I wrote down that it reminds me of. Have you seen um, Rocky Horror Picture Show? I haven't. No. Oh, okay. Like, there's a bit in there where very similar, whether it's like in a bed in a bedroom, and it's like all these weird lights and just craziness happening. Because yeah, there's this strange tape that starts playing uh, through the ceiling, and it's basically like a a hypnotism thing that Ruby has to do. So she's like starts paying attention to it, and uh, it's it's Blofeld very seductively talking and actually doing what seems to be like a legitimate hypnotism therapy, repetitive words about chicken <laughs> so it's so bizarre <laughs> like I, I i had sort of like an out of body thing where i'm like i'm watching this bond film and i'm just hearing these things about chicken in this like really sultry american accent like what is going on it's so strange yeah i, I again it, it all ties into this whole otherworldly feel of this place so i really liked it and again it's oh fully, i loved it yeah it didn't it didn't get fully explained here but you're like oh blowingfeld is putting these women in a trance that's not good something's going on here so yeah it, this other world thing uh, but then after that like we get bond going back to his room where he says to himself hilly you old devil <laughs> like, why did he say that why did he call himself hilly <laughs> oh that's right because he does it in the mirror and then there's another woman there yeah he finds like yeah he goes back to his room and he's like hilly you old devil just to find another woman who's like oh i escaped using the fingernail file where's the book Give yeah the basically book. he's once again it's like where's we need that book and it, this is quite funny because basically bond used a load of pickup lines on ruby about you don't need to see a picture you're a picture yourself <laughs> and then we get to hear bond use the exact same lines on this other woman as well um so i actually quite enjoyed that little that little touch yeah uh so after bond then sleeps with her because he he definitely sleeps with her as well oh yeah uh, we then cut to the blonde man bond's friend at the ski resort nearby he he tries to get into the resort so basically there's this ski or cable car uh, that goes from 
a, a tourist kind of ski resort nearby to the, the to the facility, and he tries to get on, and it's just like I just want to go and see the mountain, and they're just like, no, it's private. It's like, oh, I just want to take a look, and they get very mad and, and push him away. So basically, we're just seeing that uh, this guy is trying to to get to Bond, but it's very heavily locked down, so he can't get past the the henchman. Mm. So then we carve back to, to Bond again uh, in the morning, uh, all dressed up as... I think he's dressed up as Sir Hillary again. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> uh, Bond then says, your stiffness from last night, is it all gone? <laughs> oh, that's right. Good old Bunt. Good old Bunt. Yeah, again, I, it made me laugh. Like, it's such a... It's, it's so, like, direct and blunt in, in what it's trying to do. It... it it made me like it caught me on guard enough where it made me laugh. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, but while he is there, and the women then are having a curling competition up there, and and Bond is is joining in and slipping on the ice and acting oh, the so, fool. So clumsy. Say. So clumsy. He's not Nerd. a sporting man. <laughs> yeah. Get him. Get him off. <laughs> uh, but then we see the blonde man is trying to get. He doesn't give up. He says, right, I'll just climb the mountain. <laughs> I want to see the film from his perspective. Yeah. Maybe he's he another doing? double O agent. Who knows? Yeah, that could be. Yeah, that'd be awesome if it was. Sad, but awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah. But he straight up just tries to climb that peak. So basically the ski resort is on a nearby peak. So he's like, I'll just climb this one. Uh, and as he starts climbing up, they're just like, oh, there's a blonde Englishman climbing up the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> instantly I'll just shoot instantly him. <laughs> see him and just start shooting at him uh, and eventually they they get him uh, and capture the blonde man uh blofeld shows up and it's just like yeah get get him out of here get get rid of him uh and it was at this point where bond says can i have a break can i get out of here to basically try and meet up with the blonde man because Blofeld is saying, send him back down the cable car. Bond says, can I take a break for the afternoon and take that same cable car? And he just says no. I think at this point is when also he states some sort of fact about the archives. Or is that uh, later? The bit that he ends up getting wrong. Yeah, so I think he says something about a certain bit of document and research being in a certain archive to Blofeld. Right. Which we later find out was was incorrect information. Mm. yeah it could have been there i can't quite pinpoint to be honest now yeah uh, and then this basically ends off again there's not too much to the scene basically ends off with the women asking bond like hey we're gonna or just like hinting to him about seeing uh him in in their room again and i think he says like eight nine ten something like that like <laughs> yeah. counts out the numbers yeah so not i think it cuts straight Pretty much straight to Bond doing that and going to visit the uh, the women in their rooms. <laughs> and uh, I think it's Ruby first, because I think it was number eight. Uh, he's like, uh, Ruby, Hilly here. Hilly. <laughs> he, loves that, he loves that nickname. I think he might keep that even <laughs> after the film. Uh, yeah, Hilly here. And he goes to like go on the bed and you get this really... T- <laughs> I'm just laughing at it now. It was so good. Who's on the bed? It's not Ruby. It's Bunt. It, bunt. Always Bunt. It, it's Bunt. It's always Bunt when you least expect it. And uh, yeah, kind of a bit of strange, <laughs> strange editing once again. He's sort of whacked over the back of the head and it's in slow motion for some reason. It looks really bad. Uh, but he's caught. And I actually forgot how quickly he gets caught at the clinic. It doesn't take long at all. I 
I remember there being a bit more sleuthing around here, but no, it's straight onto it. He he messed up, and uh, that's it. He goes to see Blofeld. <laughs> like, not not much time wasted. I mean, I will say, like, in the whole film is like quite slow up to this point. It's a long film, as I've said, um, but I think it's from this point where it really, to me, like actually gets going now in terms of plot. So, yeah, Bond is caught. Um, and taken to the same room he was in when he met Blofeld, or the Count, originally. And this is now where we're getting... We're getting the... the evil plan spelled out for us. Blofeld, you know, he may look different, but he's uh, still still has tr- problem, problems with t- revealing too much and, and not getting rid of Bond fully. So, uh, yeah, as Tom said, kind of works out, as well as sneaking into Ruby's room, that they realised something was wrong when he was getting his facts wrong about the archives. So Blofeld just tells him what he was going to do. <laughs> What's going on here? It's, I, I don't know. It just seems like, why did he do that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we got to put it down to his cockiness, I guess. One thing I will just quickly say is that I like how this scene starts by Blofeld saying, Merry Christmas, 007. I'm like, that's nice. Even though they're, they're enemies, they still take the time to wish each other a Merry Christmas. That's very... yeah. Because he's decorating nice. the tree, isn't he? He's like putting a bit of tinsel or something. Yeah, a bit of tinsel. Well, just Merry Christmas, ho ho ho. It's all it's all very charming and nice. Um, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's it's kind of one of those where I think we talked about it in the Goldfinger scene where Goldfinger does give stuff away, but he's a, they kind of characterize him in that way. And also, a lot of it in that scene is actually Bond figuring it out, which kind of makes it feel a little like takes that. You know, that stereotypical, and now I'm going to tell you everything kind of plot. Yeah. Um, I think they said that are very well, and that's kind of the best version of that scene we've had. And this one is, as you say, they just sit down quite gentlemanly and just have a chat, and it's just like, I'm going to destroy the world's economy, and here's how. Like, world leaders hate me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just straight up says it. Because there's no... There's no... So he keeps Bond alive. Yeah, he keeps Bond alive after all this. And I think he does say, you'll prove useful or something along those lines. Yeah, it's like a bargaining chip, something like yeah. that. Yeah, so I guess that's the implication is keeping him alive because he can use him when negotiating. But yeah, there was no reason to tell him the whole plan. But anyway, I guess it's for the audience. So I shouldn't complain. Uh, but the plan is, uh, this is an allergy clinic, but... What he's actually doing is developing a... Oh, he gave it a name. It was like Virus Omega or something like that. Do you recall that? Or Alpha? I don't know. Something something mean-sounding, which is basically a a thing that causes all plants and animals to go sterile. And he wants to commit some nice uh, bacteriological warfare. So he's using that as a ransom um, against all the, the governments and NATO and whatnot. Um. And that's kind of it, really. That's that's his plan. Am I missing anything? No, I, I think I think the main thing he's saying is that he wants to blackmail for money. But yeah, he specifically is like targeting food supplies. Like he's not going to use this technology to make people infertile. He's going to do that to kill plants and food stock. Uh, which so it seems like he's not trying to kill everyone. He's just trying to ruin their day and and again make be very specific about it and this kind of made me think about Blofeld's plans because you know we've seen quite a few of these inspectors plans but these are like he's never trying to take over the world he just wants to be rich I think 
Because every time he's just like, give me a load of gold, give me a load of diamonds or I'll mess you up. But he's never actually looking, maybe in Fundable. Uh, no, maybe you only live twice what I'm thinking of. But generally speaking, he's just trying to manipulate people. So it's probably more of a, a power thing. But yeah, he doesn't actually want to take over the world at all. He just wants a ton of money from these governments. Although I think he also wants diplomatic, uh, like immunity, I mm. think we find out later as well. So yeah. You know, it's not such a bad guy, right? He's not, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I quite like that. Like we do learn that a little bit later on from M. But yeah, he he wants amnesty from from all of his wrongdoings, which is like, well, that makes sense, I suppose, given what he's actually done, and and recognition as a as a count. So you're right. It's not it's not quite like maniacal. I want to destroy everyone. It, it makes sense. Like yeah, if you've done that, you now want to you want to get out of jail free cards. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think I liked Blofeld in this scene and we really get to show off his how different of a physical presence he had compared to the last film. Like yeah. he's sitting there smoking with his like legs crossed. It's very like calm and collected, but also like quite casual and kind of loose. It's a it's a very different portrayal. We really get to see this between him and, and George Lazenby. I mean, George Lazenby doesn't add anything to it. I, I won't lie. Um, but it's nice to see Blofeld kind of be portrayed in this way. Now that everything's out in the open and they know who each other is and they're just talking as Bond and Blofeld at this point. I'm telling you, Blofeld is really cool. It's a cool dude. It's a cool dude who just wants to be forgiven for his past horrible crimes, that's all. And murders and everything. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, speaking of cool dudes, oh. so we then go to find the blonde man who oh. has been murdered and Blofeld has him hanging upside down uh, near a window of the facility, which is a really like pretty gruesome image. This might be the most gruesome uh, shot we've seen in the whole franchise up to this point. It, it, uh, yeah. And I mean, it's just like suddenly it's so quick. Like it's just out of nowhere. Uh, it's very, very, very impactful. Yeah. I really like this setup because basically Bond gets locked away in outside where all the cogs and cables are for the for the cable cars and basically Blofeld set up so like here's your friend dead upside down frozen and we're just gonna leave you here to to look at it like I don't know if you fully feel the weight of that but it's like that's pretty pretty evil like that's a pretty evil place to to keep Bond I, I really like that from Blofeld mm. yeah and and he's doing it in his typical mommy suave uh voice like explaining the old climbers fall down all the time sort of thing and you know really really mocking bond in this sense and it it really works well yeah they yeah he he really sold it here i really like this this setup so yeah blowfell takes bond and doesn't kill him leaves him alive so he instead locks him in this sort of gear mechanism cable car room where all the mechanical stuff is uh which bit of an oversight really given that there is a big gap to the outside and what do you know bond's gonna use that so we do get a bit of uh i don't want to really say action because it wasn't really that that good but a bit of a uh, bit of a scene with bond trying to escape using the timings of the cable car to to avoid being crushed by a big mechanical wheel and fall down this or, or fall down this big chasm below him which was not at all a matte painting no no that was real that was no, absolutely no. real uh yeah i don't know he I think I didn't really find this bit very interesting, to be honest with you. It was very, very simple. Like he's in the room, he sees there's a way out, 
So he just shimmies along the cable car cable and and gets out. That's <laughs> that's it. Not really any wits used or anything. I don't. Or well, the only thing he does do is he rips out his pockets and uses them as gloves. I, I mean, I really like that touch, and I, I actually did really like this stuff where it's it's that more stripped down Bond stuff that we saw back in Doctor No, where it's very basic solutions to kind of quite basic problems really and it's nice to see bond just kind of at quite a low point just use these kind of more practical methods to get to do what he needs to do to get out to escape so sure it's not very exciting there's not real much tension to it and yeah he does eventually just kind of escape but i don't know i like these sort of scenes these more basic scenes where all he's doing is like i need to kind these cables but i can't really grip them so i'll rip out my pockets and just do it like that it's very practical very old school bond so it, it was nice to see that after a few films where they very much didn't do anything like that yeah definitely no gadget reliance in this one as much is there is there any gadgets in this film really there probably is but i can't think of any off the top yeah. of my head not coming from the previous couple bond films where they really started to introduce them a lot uh definitely stripped back i just thought so Given the length of this film, I just think a lot of it went on for a bit too long, and this this was one of those scenes for me. But uh, meanwhile, that's all going on, and Bond's escaping. You you hear uh, what Blofeld's doing with all all the women. Um, well, I think it is actually after he escapes. It's around this time anyway that you hear more of Blofeld's of the hypnotic <laughs> directions that he's giving the women. I think it's because they opened presents, didn't they? Is this a bit with the presents where they open them and their little receivers? Yeah, so basically they knock... I don't know how they're knocking out these women, but they knock them all out. Blofeld says, I'm going to give you a load of instructions, which is open the presents because it's Christmas and they're celebrating Christmas. So they all have Christmas presents, which are radio speakers. And they're just saying, Blofeld says, listen to this every night for instructions. So basically confirming that Blofeld is making them uh, sleeper agents. One thing I will say, so I watched this, uh, I watched this on the PlayStation, the Blu-ray on the PlayStation, and I had, because it was quite late when I was watching, I had headphones plugged straight in. You know how you have headphones plugged into the controller and listen that way? So I was getting true stereo sound of this in each ear. And I was getting some, I'm going to call it, now don't get this confused with something else that sounds very similar, some BSMR. Oh, about which is, huh? It's like ASMR, but it's with Blofeld. <laughs> <laughs> now with extra Blofeld. Because yeah, at one point, I think it was around this point in the film, like you could... At least for me, he's really getting the stereo effect of Blofeld in one ear and then in the other. <laughs> it's just, and because of the voice he has, I was like, "Oh, this is weird," but I don't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> it was late, as you say, though. It was late. Maybe that was it. Um, anyway, we'll move past that. Don't focus on that. Um, so Bond escapes, uh, jumping on top of like an incoming cable car and jumping over the the fence or the the wall back into the the clinic um and i think he gets eventually breaks into i think he knocks out a guard or does something to a guard and gets into the skiing equipment room or cupboard yeah like he fights a guard which not much to say there exactly the same as the other fights lots of quick edits not great but yeah he, he beats up a guard to get the ski equipment beats up a guard gets a ski equipment and then that's it, right? He just, he just gets on with it. We're getting on to the ski chases, of which there are quite a few in this film. Yeah, so his plan is at this point now just to escape. So he's got the skis. Is he in the blue 
outfit. Yes, I think so. Yeah, so he goes this full blue body suit, which I think is meant to be like a thermal suit because he's skiing. And I, I kind of like this setup because he instantly gets spotted. So he's trying to escape. So he's trying to ski down the mountain to the village down below. And he just instantly gets spotted. And normally I would say that's a bit silly, but I think he probably knew that was going to happen. It's just like, whatever choice do I have? And I'm just going to go. And yeah. I kind of like that. It's a very different setup for a Bond film, but I think it actually works really well as an opening setting of like, Bond just needs to get out of here because he's on the back foot and he's just going to go and just try and outrun everyone. This is the first Bond ski chase, isn't it, of, of the franchise? Oh, it must have been. It must be. I was trying to think while watching, like, there's no other snowy parts of the previous Bond films. And uh, this is, yeah, this is the, where it all began because... Like these sort of scenes have become quite common going forward. There is a lot of snow-based skiing, whatever you know, mountain um, chases. So this is kind of cool, and it was actually a really good first one. Like there's some good um, good stunts with this. As a yeah, so Bond obviously starts to ski away and gets chased by some henchmen, uh, and even gets chased by Blofeld. Blofeld yeah. joins him, which I really it's like. What Blofeld's going to join him? But yeah, he does. He gets on his his little hat and. His skis, um, <laughs> his little, hat. yeah, his little blowfield hat, his little a little blowfield hat for his little bald head, and it gets very cold. Oh, you might imagine. I mean, it must be freezing for him. So uh, the one thing that really stood out to me in this ski chase is, uh, is getting away from the from the clinic is um, at one point he loses one of his ski blades, and so he does like single blade skiing. I didn't even know that was a thing, but it looks really cool. <laughs> like just seeing. Seeing that and knowing that someone's actually doing that, I was like, wow, I didn't know you could do that. I mean, I guess it's no different from snowboarding, really. But it looked really good. Yeah, overall, I I enjoyed the scene. Uh, The thing that's nice about this is that it's dark. Like, they keep it quite... It's not pitch black, but because Bond is escaping at night, it has this dark look to it. And I think it looks amazing because of that. Like, we get another skiing scene later, which is bright, but this one feels a little bit more... Even though he's going down this massive mountain and... It, it feels a little bit more claustrophobic and stuff. And I think that's really, really cool. Like it has a really good vibe to it because of that. But, and like you say, the stunts are great. Obviously it's not George Lazenby doing all this stuff and him being in that blue suit. We get a lot of like zoom outs where we see people doing these stunts, but it, it it's quite impressive. It, it looks really good. Uh, yeah, something yeah. I wasn't into, going to get oh. controversial here, is okay. that I don't think the theme really worked too well with this scene. And it goes back to what I was saying at the very beginning of this podcast, where I just think this music doesn't really have any punch and that doesn't make it bad. I still really, really like it, but it just kind of isn't very exciting. Like it it doesn't feel big enough for this type of scene or anything like that. And we don't need something as big as like the James Bond theme. We don't need something to go as big as that, but this just... It needed a little bit more energy to it. It needed those big moments as as he's going down the mountain to really make you feel it. And it just felt a little bit mismatched to me having this theme play over this type of uh, chase scene. Mm. Need a bit of a middle ground between the big bombastic Bond theme and, and the actual one that was used. Yeah, just a little something to... A little bit more weight here. But even then, it doesn't take too much away from it. But it's like, ah, oh, man, it's such a great song. It's just misused. It just shouldn't be here. 
let me tell you what else needed a bit more weight. Oh, no. <laughs> so, at one point in this uh, ski chase, Bond sort of goes to the side, but is still followed by, by a henchman. Uh, so I think... Or, or maybe he trips up. I can't really remember the details of it. But basically, he's one-on-one with this with the bad guy now. Um, and <laughs> it ends up being that the the guy falls off the cliff. I can't really remember how he does, but he does. So, so basically, like, Bond... Yeah, Bond down, is down to one... So he's been chased by three guys, two of the... Or maybe four guys, and basically, like, a, two people go into trees... Bond then trips at the end and hides behind a mound and then takes off his ski and then as they jump over, he hits them with it. Oh, yeah, he gives them a good whack, yeah. So he does it twice, but yeah, as you say, the first one falls off a cliff. And I I love, I just loved this little stunt because it's obviously a dummy. <laughs> it's, they, <laughs> they, they, have this, they have this dummy stuffed and put on ski clothes and give them all that sort of stuff. And then they just lob him off. And they must have really liked this special effect because they linger on it. You see the whole shot, basically, of this this dummy falling down. And I was going to say, it doesn't actually look too bad, really, if you don't focus on it too much, even though they've kind of forced you to look at it for quite a long time. It doesn't look bad until... <laughs> this is what makes or breaks it, is the sound design. And oh, yeah. this this really made me laugh. Like I, I think I had to like pause and just... It, the sound it makes when it hits the snow at the end, because you see it from like bird's eye view as it's falling down. And then it just makes this teeny tiniest little scuff of a noise. And it's hilarious. I just <laughs> loved it. Just the, the what's actually happening on screen. And you just hear this little <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, I, that, that made the whole ski chase for me, that one bit. Yeah, it was amazing. It's like he fought, like you say, he falls for so long, so long. But it's funny because they start with being him being like ah, (laughs) (laughs) and just like I think I don't know if he's like screaming the whole time, but it's funny to hear someone be like no, (laughs) no, ah, I'm falling, no. (laughs) God, such a great scene. Like you could have cut that down by half, and it still would have been quite long. They just let it fall, and it like it does. I do, you know, not even just from a comedy standpoint because it is hilarious and amazing, but even so, it is quite like daunting thinking about how far that guy falls. Mm. Like he must be traveling at some speed at that point, and it does really emphasize. And I think this is probably what they were going for just how insanely high up this cliff is and how insanely high these drops are in these mountains i think that's what they were going for and it does highlight that but yeah this is just amazing just to see it long like it takes ages (laughs) and then the great thing is that after this guy falls bond does the same thing with someone else but i don't think he falls off straight away but eventually he does get pushed off and then you hear a very similar like no <laughs> but you sadly don't cut to it but the fact that it like reference it like another guy is just fallen enough just kind of hits you again with that I, that scene i know we're talking quite a lot on this podcast about doing our own fan edits and i, I want to do that but with the second guy just putting the exact same scene of the dummy falling down yeah i mean it really gave me homer falling off the cliff vibes like it's just that scene Oh, so good, so good. I mean, it, it, this is a good scene, regardless of that that dodgy dummy. Uh, I did like this bit, and 
in the book, they they read that this is a like a really long part of the book. This whole chase scene because there's a lot of focus on just how bashed up Bond is getting. Um, I, I think in the book, the avalanche happens now, and like it's it's like really not gruesome, but you see how much it's taken on Bond physically. And uh, I think this the the film does quite a good job. Like by the end of the scene where he ends up skiing into uh, the village, you like you see Bond and like he is <laughs> he's done for. Like he just looks awful. He looks miserable. Yeah, he trips and falls multiple times. Yeah, like this isn't a slick Bond escaping everyone. It's like no, he messes up numerous times in this one. He just improvises enough, and it, you know again. It's not as far as it. It doesn't sound like it goes as far as the, the book did, from what you're describing. But yeah, compared to Sean Connery's Bond, we're getting close to maybe not a Daniel Craig levels of getting beaten up, but maybe like mm. a Pierce Brosnan level of yeah. getting kind of beaten around. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah. After that, again, great scene. But after that, we then cut to the women leaving on a bus, and uh, Bunt or. But yeah, Bunt <laughs> is uh, is basically in ch- the chase isn't over. So Bond gets to the village, but the women are being left. I think the general idea is that Bond is trying to get to the women to stop them. Did I just invent oh. that? No, well, that no, that that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's not focused on, but I kind of got like, yes, initially Bond was trying to get away, but I thought they were trying to put it together that Bond was actually trying to get to these women because he knew that they were part of the plan somehow. So he just wanted to stop that from happening because we get these shots of the women being taken away on the bus and leaving the facility and also Bond in the same village being hunted down. And I assumed that he was trying to get to them. It's just that never happens. That or just uh, trying to phone London which he does try to do eventually. Yeah, that's true. So now we have a, a chase scene, or the, the chasing basically continues. The guards or the henchmen are still after Bond, and, and Bunt is there, and Bond jumps into a house in this village and has a wrestling or a bit of a fight with a man who, well, it doesn't cut around quite as much, I don't think, but this scene is quite terrible in a different way. Terrible. Because they are fighting in a room that is littered with bells everywhere. Yeah. And everything they do rings a ton of bells. And I I didn't listen to it with earphones and I found it extremely unpleasant. <laughs> you at like midnight on your PlayStation. <laughs> that must have been a nightmare. It burst my eardrums. Oh, that's that's sad to hear. No, this uh, this scene sucked. I don't I really don't get the inclusion of this. It was like I don't know. It was bad. Yeah, it was just a fight in a bell room just to have a fight in a bell room. Like, they didn't have a purpose. It was just so they get wrestled around. It was like, clang, 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 clang. Oh, please stop. Please. <laughs> it's it's 12 o'clock at night. Please stop. Yeah. Are you awake? Just checking. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah. Keep me awake. Keep me on my toes. Maybe that's what they were doing for the rest of the audience. Yeah, maybe. It's quite a long film. Yep. Uh, so then Bond does beat up the guy. Uh, he's still being chased, so they he puts on the jacket and tries to hide in the crowd. And this is a kind of quite a nice scene in a weird way. because we, Well, not a nice scene, but this is where I'm kind of talking about Bond being somewhere and you get a bit of a sense of the culture. I actually got some of that here mm. because they're in this Switzerland village in the Alps and it's very 
you know, it's Christmas. We already confirmed it was Christmas. We get like some Christmassy choir music in the background and everyone's kind of enjoying this fair or whatever you would kind of call it. And we get that kind of sense of what this place is. Maybe a little bit like the Thunderball scene when Bond is being chased and he's being chased with this big crowd. We kind of have another version of that, just this time it's Christmas in Switzerland rather than uh, that big parade in uh, uh, the Bahamas. Yeah, I really like this bit too. As I say, I think from this point on, the film to me gets a lot better, partly for what you're saying, like the whole cultural aspect of it and just seeing more of the world around Bond and not just at that clinic the whole time. But also... I wrote down that but like we were complaining about the fight scenes and, and the editing style of them and wasn't quite great again, a bit sloppy. But I think that actually worked in the film's favour here where they're trying to get that sort of disoriented feeling of Bond kind of pretty much being knocked out by the, the chase and confused and lost and scared. And yeah, I, I think having this kind of really crazy cutting and as like at one point it's like a weird bear that just like flash photography <laughs> that just... was so bizarre like it was a a giant it was someone in a polar bear outfit taking pictures but the bear looks frightening yeah like yeah. terrifying like it's not a cartoon bear it's like five it's... nights at freddy's stuff yeah like 100 percent. and the thing that makes no sense is basically part of bond being disoriented takes you know, he takes the picture but i'm pretty sure the bear is like laughing <laughs> Like, I don't know if that's meant to be. Someone's laughing. And I thought it was that bear. But I was like, why is that bear laughing? Which is never a question you should ask when watching a Bond film. Like, that's it's gone places there. But yeah, we have like this dreamlike sequence where this crazy looking polar bear takes his picture and starts laughing. It's like, okay, all right. This Bond must have really hit his head pretty hard. Yeah, I'm all for it, though. (laughs) You were here for the polar bear. Yeah, I I just really like this scene. Really good. Uh, so this all eventually ends with Bond just sitting down. I think not to escape, just to take a break. Yeah, <laughs> just to it's get off for. his feet. And would you look at that? Guess who skates up in front of him? It's Bunch. Tracy. Oh, oh, it's the Sorry. polar bear. <laughs> <laughs> and he marries the polar bear. Uh, and it's oh. a very different film. Oh, fairies would love it. <laughs> mm, yeah, they head of the game. <laughs> uh so yeah so tracy is there and what's the explanation they give for tracy being there coincidentally the it, basically that she forced she got her dad to tell her where bond was and then she stayed close because she knew bond was nearby i see i did miss that to be honest i thought that was a bit odd i let it slide but that actually makes a lot more sense especially with mm. the way tracy is before yeah. this point yeah uh, and then eventually they they escape. Uh, a fireworks show goes off, and that creates enough of a distraction. And so there's some more weird editing here, just showing it being very chaotic with the fireworks, like lots of cuts and a lot of kind of like odd angles looking at these firework display. Because normally it's fireworks. Like I've been to enough fireworks shows. You're just sitting there being like, look at that one go in the sky. But this hmm. one's very like let's jump all over the place to justify the guards like can you imagine being in a, like a, a firework village show and some guard like people in the crowd are just like oh what's what, what's going on i'm so confused <laughs> loud noises ah it was like very, enough to let someone get away it was very aggressive for a firework show yeah 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 but yeah they get into tracy's iconic red car and they they drive off so then we get even more chasing the chase hasn't really stopped we've had it's been one continuous chase for a long time except now we're with tracy uh a, a 
a Tracy Chasey. That's what I'm going to call it right now. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, uh, it's your time. Like it's just I can't explain how it comes to me. Um, but yeah, they they follow her in in the car uh, behind her and Bond. They briefly stop because Bond tries to get out and, as I say, tries to ring London at a post office or something like that in a phone booth uh, or outside a phone uh, post office and doesn't do it in time. <laughs> like Again, another example of Bond failing. Like He tries to do it, but they catch up and start shooting at him. So back in the car they go. And then it gets a bit strange again because they suddenly, after a few, a few more bits of driving or, and whatever... They end up in a race. They end up like breaking into this car race, like 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 a destruction derby type thing. I don't know what it is, but it's just like yeah, a very big race going on. All these cars bashing into each other, and obviously you got Bond and Tracy in one car, and and uh, Bunt and the others right alongside them, and it's just chaos for a few minutes on screen. It just it's kind of adds into what we've seen before about what on earth is going on, but um, I mean it's good. It's kind of all slippy and slidey on the ice and, and stuff like that. But it has, I mean, there was one standout moment for me in this, and I'm sure you know what it is. Something we've spoke about repeatedly on this podcast now is speed of explosions of cars. And oh, yes. this one is, I think it might be the fastest yet. <laughs> so, Oh, I uh, don't know. I think oh, Dr. No might have a beat. Do you think so? Do you think so? So We might have a bit to time of, it. I would like to do that. I'd like to get this nailed down because there's a bit of toing and froing, uh, shooting between Bond and the bad guys and tracing that. Uh, and eventually, uh, Bunt and, and the henchmen kind of skid out and flip their car in one of the corners. And it's honestly, the car flips. I think it's maybe, well, I don't know how many frames it is, but it is so ludicrously fast until this car explodes. It's It's great. It is great. Um, and you even get this great uh, uh, scream from Bunt. It's like, ah! it's just, <laughs> the film was really good for, for as I've got to say. Um, yeah, I don't really think there's, there's much else to say about that little scene. It's just kind of I mean, happens. I'll be honest, I think this might be my favourite scene in the film. Oh, really? I had such a blast with this. So first of all, I love that it takes place at night and I love that it's this continuous chase. And we get some just going up to this, you know, rally race, whatever you call it. We get some really cool shots on these thin roads. Like it's very, yeah, it's very different. It's so different. And the fact that it's taking place at night, like I feel like this film really takes advantage of that in terms of how it looks and having the chase take place at night just adds something. Like the Goldfinger chase technically did, but I just thought like whatever that could have taken place during the day. Who cares? Mm. Uh, but this one feels different because it took place at night, and it's like you say, it's chaos. Yeah. But something I really like about it, and I think it really helps with Tracy's character, is that she's driving. Mm. Like this isn't Bond driving a car, and to be fair, I guess you only live twice. Technically, did this right because a uh, Aka Aki. Yeah, uh, was driving as well but this one is like a very she is driving very aggressively and if you want to like try and sell tracy as a character as being mrs james bond this was a very smart way of doing it of having her be this reckless driver like helping james as james has been like kind of knocked down and stuff and but having her do that job and do it incredibly well like they're in this race and against all these other racers who like they keep cutting to the racers themselves taking it seriously and trying to have a proper race. 
But then you just have like the guard or the the henchman and Bunt and Tracy just ramming into them, <laughs> and like they flip one over, and like you say, it's chaos. But like. I think they do a really good job of directing and putting this scene together where you get what's going on. And it's just such a ton of fun. Like, it's such a fun scene. And I think it's such a great way of ending this type of chase scene where you get this real payoff of just chaos, but in, in such a deliberate, fun way. I Like, I genuinely think, apart from maybe the very last scene of the film, uh, if you remove that one, this is probably my favourite scene. It's just so fun to watch. Oh. Yeah, you're totally right about setting up Tracy more as a as a realistic woman that Bond would actually settle down for. I mean, there are quite a few times in the film you hear you hear him go "good girl," which always I just don't like when he called her "good girl." But yeah, uh, this is like this is what would impress Bond is <laughs> handling it this situation well. So maybe this scene actually serves for a bigger purpose in in that way, especially in what follows afterwards when they're in the barn. But gives a reason for Bond to fall for Tracy even more because she saved him, saved his life. Yeah, like it's not spelled out, but it's just, I think, a smart way of doing it and having that kind of exist here. And it's, yeah. And the fact that they start shooting as well, like I think later Bond films would try and do this type of sequence and go too silly with it. Like would take a somewhat sillier, like a somewhat uh, similar sorry set up and go a little bit more silly but this one was just the right amount for me just the mm. right amount of actually having all these cars driving around and ramming each other and stuff and having silly stuff happening but not nothing too wacky it's just it still feels quite brutal all these cars ramming each other and oh, yeah i loved it i think this was the best action scene in the film uh, yeah i'm gonna go for, as far as to say i think the section from from bond's escape you know, the first ski chase to this bit. The bit, pretty much this whole chase through all the different elements of it, the different modes of transport and everything, was pro- probably the best section of the film for me, if you would take it as a chunk. This is the part I probably enjoyed the most. Uh, not just because of Bunt screaming and the dummy, I promise. Well, that <laughs> like, helps. They they help a lot. But I think this is the strongest for action-wise. And as we were just saying, like I think, yeah, character-wise, it also kind of works as well. I mean, it's not... Not as in-your-face character-wise, but you're getting it there in the background. So, very good. Good stuff. Yeah, and this all eventually leads to, like you say, the the car with Bunt explodes. And they basically get away. But they get to the point where they're in the Alps. So there's a big blizzard. They're running low on petrol. So eventually they find a barn and decide, hey, let's just stay here. There's some horses inside. And I like their little banter here, where... You know, Bond is always the person that makes a joke about situation and things like that. But Tracy, when she enters and they're just saying how not great it is and having a joke, she's like, oh, we should have called and booked. It Mm. It was nice to see both Bond and Tracy, again, people who are supposed to be in love at this point, basically, both have that kind of little banter and that kind of back and forth. And I think whether they correctly and appropriately set up this romance for this scene i actually did really enjoy their chemistry throughout this scene of them staying the night in the barn uh, together yeah yeah i i still think it's it's more it's more coming from tracy but i guess it takes two to tango so uh i can't i can't discredit george completely as much as i'd like to <laughs> <laughs> no i don't mean that really but yeah, also in the scene, that as we say, kind of falling in love aspect of it and, and actually 
the realization from Bond that that maybe this is the woman for him. So he uh, he proposes to her. How's about that? Oh, who would have seen that coming? Well, actually, me because I read it. I read the book, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun. it's like a nice little scene, I suppose. And the one thing I did write down is that there's a section where. I think it's where he's about to go to sleep. I don't know what it is, but the, she takes off her hat. And this is the only thing I will, I didn't love about it is that they clearly set it up to have this, to really sell like just how beautiful Tracy is. And I almost expected like a harp to start playing because it's like <laughs> the lighting of it. And it had this sort of um, almost like they'd, they'd blurred the screen a bit. And it reminded me of like a 50s film, like a night or no, 40s film where they, it was all blurry in here. They have like the, the main woman of the film and she's looking all glitzy and sort of out of focus a little bit. And she's just so stunning. And it, that's the only bit that I was like, oh, that's that just stood out to me to not really match in the rest. I mean, I know why they did it, but uh, I was like, what what film? What year is this film from again? 69? <laughs> yeah, they, they probably didn't need that, but you know, I, I didn't mind it too much because, yeah, you get what they're going for. It's uh... yeah. It, it's fine uh it just probably didn't really need that but but yeah he's like i love you i'll never find another girl like you i think either she or him says mr and mrs james bond and yeah. they start talking about what city or country they want to get married in like it all goes in and you know it, again i i said it already but it bears repeating they didn't really set this up appropriately and the elephant in the room here is that bond just slept with two other women Mm -hmm. in the thing and the film kind of depends on you kind of ignoring that and that's why for me it makes sense that bond had some interest in her at the beginning but it's only the chase scene and them spending this extra time together because they do talk while in the car probably not enough to justify this again i don't think they have enough dialogue and the writing chops to make this fully work and be realized but to me i kind of need them to fall in love at this point or bond to fall in love with her at this point just so the stuff that happens in the facility makes sense yeah, and as I said at the be- or earlier on, I think the whole sleeping... You're right, like, having just slept with two women, uh, it's kind of, if you really think about it, oh, that's not great. But trying to see this more positively in the sense of having slept with them two women who are clearly quite shown as being quite dumb, like they're, or maybe not dumb, but in the sense of, like, they're being hypnotised and they're very childlike and, yeah, I think having that... And Bond seeing women like that, maybe that's like, oh, actually, yeah. Trace is the one for me. She She's on my level, unlike these women. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I didn't get that from this film, but I could totally see how someone could see it that way. That Bond goes back to his old habits and realises he doesn't want those old habits. Although he went back to Ruby again. He was like, Hilly's here. Mm. So I think there wasn't really showing any of that. So, but, you know... Still, again, like the the acting chops of Diana Riggs and Tracy sells it enough that to me it didn't bother me too much when watching the film. It's just one of those where when you look at it closely, you're like, actually, they didn't do a great job with that. But the scenes with them works because because of her. Yeah, totally. Uh, so after that, they, they sleep together. There's a little joke here where Bond's like, oh, it's not our wedding night yet. We'll have to have separate beds. I'll do that as my New Year's resolution. And then he like knocks down her bed so she rocks onto him and saying, oh, it's it's not New Year's yet. 
which I thought was quite funny. I like that. Bit. She could have hurt herself doing that. Yeah, she does. Yeah, she just does her back in and just can't. <laughs> <laughs> very different ending to the film. Yeah, very different one. But uh, but then we cut to it being morning, and Blofeld and his henchman has caught up to them in the barn, and finds the red car. But we see they're like, where where have they gone? They're not here. Uh, but we see that Bond and Tracy are now skiing down the mountain together. And this time we get a second chase, but this time mm. with Blofeld and with Bond and Tracy. And I have to say, like, it's a little much that they put two ski chases in this film. But I do think they did a good job or as good a job as you could do making them feel different. Where one's yes. at night and it's just Bond and one is, very, you know, has a very different feel to it. And this one is Bond and Tracy. And it is amazing seeing Tracy kind of doing these tricks and skiing along with Bond. Like that is another way of like, yes, you can picture these two together because they are both skiing down this mountain in a very similar fashion. Yeah. It, yeah. It's good for those reasons. You're right. I think I was a bit skied out by this point. Having, you're right, like this happened straight straight after no gap at all really apart from the barn scene and i just think like uh the, the one thing i do like about this upcoming ski chase is, is the whole avalanche aspect to it which is another one of those things that separates it but i just wish that maybe they were a bit more spaced out i don't know i just i think back to back like this kind of takes away from the second one maybe um but anyway yeah so they're skiing and they, they eventually uh again get chased by blofeld and that who can follow them and so what Blofeld does, quite cleverly, is cause an avalanche to... to. I don't know if he planned to actually capture or just kill him and they ended up staying alive, so he caught them. But, yeah, he he, he made an avalanche to, uh, to get on with it. So And actually, I really... I was worried about this scene. As soon as it started, I thought, oh, avalanche, this is going to look bad. It actually looked... V- pretty good i mean you can see some of the inserts from other footage and stock footage of avalanches which is whatever like they do that in all the films basically especially the last one with all the volcano stuff we saw that fair as day but they you could tell that they had some thought about like mixing in with special effects or or i don't know what it would be really but like overlaying um smaller scale stuff over shots of the skiers and and you can tell some of it was model work as the avalanche is going on. But it all looked, it all kind of flowed together really quite well. Given given the time of this film, I was just expecting this to look really crap. But no, well done. Yeah, you can definitely tell the stuff that's fake, right? And that's yeah. a lot the case with all these films. But I think it helps that an avalanche like this is just visually incredibly impressive. Like, it just looks amazing. And this avalanche in this film feels huge. Like, Mm. it's so intimidating having someone go down the mountain and being chased by this thing. Like, it's something that's been done a ton of times. You know, it's a bit of a trope at this point. But even in this film, it it feels so huge that it's just such a cool, fun idea to see. Well, fun, maybe not the word, but it's such a cool idea to see kind of play out. And it's it's kind of what I was saying before with the, the mountains and how... 
you know, maybe it wasn't the best well done in terms of shooting all the mountains, but they had such a good location that that does a lot of the heavy lifting. I feel like that's somewhat true for this avalanche, where it's just visually such an amazing idea that they were starting from such a strong point that even if some of the stuff doesn't really match up, it just is very impressive to see on screen. And for that reason, I, it was like, I yeah, I really enjoyed this. It was really cool to see Bond and Tracy being chased by this such intimidating wall of snow. Uh, yeah, really liked it. it. It could have gone a lot worse is what I was thinking as I was watching it. It could have been a lot more bad rear projection. And we have had, I think maybe it's still to come yet, but there there has been some of that. Um, and it could have been just a ton of that and, and stock footage. But yeah, as I say, they, they've made some effort to try and blend things together and sell it a bit more. So yeah, good scene. Yeah, I liked it. And this eventually leads to, yeah, as you say, Chase and Bond do get caught up in it. They don't just escape. They get hit by this avalanche and get tripped up and fall down. And this, uh, yeah, they've both been kind of knocked out and Tracy gets captured. And I want to make sure I got this line right because Blofeld says something and I wrote it as, like, they're like, should we get Bond or something? And he says, a grave so deep it can even keep 007 from walking. And I was like, that's a cool line. Like, that's a really cool line, especially after sending, like, this massive avalanche after Bond and really burying him. I hope I got that line correct and I heard it correct, because I remember that being like, yeah, Bond is the one who usually gets the cool line in the moments, but it was actually really nice to see, like, Blofeld say something quite intimidating after literally burying James Bond in snow. I didn't... I must have missed that line, but that doesn't make any sense, because he... They go take Tracy, and she's, he's right next to Tracy. He's not buried. Well, he's a little buried. Little buried. He's a little buried, but I'm sure you can still see some blue <laughs> of his like bright blue. Th- anyway, it is a cool line. I think because Teddy Savalas has a cool voice, it works. But uh, yeah, strange. Strange that it's just leave Bond. Don't need him. Yeah, again, it's, it's odd. They, yeah, I don't know. I don't think they justify that, do they? Not really. Not really. And interestingly enough, so that concludes that scene. We see Bond awake and take, get out of the snow. And we fade to Bond looking out of a window in M's office in mm. London. We we cut straight back to it, which I appreciate for the sake of the pacing of the film. Yes. But it's very strange to end on such a bummer note and have him actually be back. And also a really weird thing that happens in this film as bond is looking out the window they like put footage of tracy on the window from yeah from one of the other scenes and i guess it doesn't look terrible but it, it doesn't look good it doesn't it doesn't look bad but you're right it, it wasn't impressive so what was the point of doing it? it like we know bond is thinking about tracy we don't need to see literal footage <laughs> added into the window of tracy oh yeah her <laughs> Oh, her from 20 seconds ago. Right, yeah. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, I think Bond just looking out the window would have been plenty, <laughs> looking pensive. Yeah, you get it. You, you, you totally get it with that. But Bond is in M's office and M takes a call and then tells 007, like, hey, Blofeld is making his threat and basically we're going to take the offer. We're going to wipe out all his crimes. We're going to give him his count title and and money or whatever and things like that where bond is saying i want to attack like i know where this place is if we go there and blow up the center of communications for this scheme we can do that but m says no and basically is saying that 
or Bond is trying to argue like, hey, Tracy has been kidnapped. We should probably go say her. Again, M says no. And again, this is a very short scene. Bond is quite visibly upset, which I, I think was a, quite a nice touch. So eventually Bond calls uh, Draco and arranges to have a rescue mission and attack the facility using Draco's men uh, instead of MI6 and going around M. Mm-hmm. So after that, Bond makes his phone call to Draco and gets the operation underway. So we see them all kind of like very quickly. We're, we're straight onto the operation. They've got all their helicopters ready. They've got all of the of Draco's uh, henchmen in there and off they go to his Gloria, ready to blow it up. It's like, I mean, as you, we've said before, for the sake of brevity, it's good that they're sort of moving swiftly on with this sort of stuff. We don't need a ton of setup. It's just time to go and blow it all up. So that's that's nice. And I really do like the whole bit with... Um, the helicopter and Draco, because basically they, they keep getting pinged about uh, breaching airspace and stuff like that. So you just get these these scenes of Draco really like flippantly playing it off, pretending to be Red Cross. We're trying to deliver blood and, and joking around with these people on the intercom. And kind of like what I was saying before with the scene with him and Bond at the fireplace very early on. I think just, just the actor kind of sells these sort of scenes and, has a, like a sort of bit of cheekiness to him, which really works, especially for this sort of stuff. So, yeah, all all whilst that is going on, you have Blofeld with Tracy at the clinic, and he's just. I mean, I said that uh, <laughs> earlier. I said that Blofeld was quite cool. He's not very cool here. He's just trying to schmooze Tracy, and it's not really working. Like she's obviously having none of it. Um, She's spouting off all... She's spouting Shakespeare or something in this scene? Or like, oh, I, don't I don't know. I don't really know what she was trying to do here, but yeah, trying to just kind of ignore what it's saying, um, which kind of <laughs> lessens the uh, persona of Blofeld a little bit. But he is meant to be the bad guy, I suppose. But yeah, yeah I, think... I think they were a little bit conflicted here where like Tracy needs to continue that persona we had of her being quite kind of... Uh, what be the word stubborn I guess mm. uh, but Blofeld also needs to be that intimidating somewhat cool kind of evil villain and I feel like when putting these two characters in the room it was probably just a bad idea because somebody was always going to suffer and Blofeld is the one that suffers Tracy is yeah. the one that keeps her character where Blofeld kind of takes a hit and seems a bit a little bit Goldfinger-esque uh, mm. is how he's kind of portrayed but I'll make you a I'll make you a countess. It's like I already am one. <laughs> okay, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, so we eventually get to the helicopters reaching the clinic, and I was saying about the car chase thing being chaos. This this is like honestly, I for, this just goes mad at some points coming up. Um, they they. I can't actually remember how they... I think they just start shooting the windows out from the helicopter, but they eventually uh, land and they all start coming out and everything. So the shot I was talking about earlier, <laughs> I remembered it. We were talking about when Bond had the the knife just coming up through the door to see Draco, and he was in that pose. Yeah. And like, oh, that's quite a cool pose. The other one, which I actually think doesn't look cool, but maybe they were trying to look cool, is Bond leaving the helicopter on like a sled or something <laughs> yes and he's like shooting as he's sliding down and i think it's meant to look good but i think it looks a bit silly anyway <laughs> sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't i guess what i'm trying to say well i think it's supposed to it's that whole thing 
because this starts off initially with like just the helicopter storming it and to be honest this whole sequence with the helicopters and the way the orange sky looks and like made me think like is this like a vietnam film did they think <laughs> with this being 1969 is that too early because this feels like it kind of was taken straight out of a vietnam film just put it in the jungle rather than the snow setting and you kind of have a very similar thing just a lot of people storming people in helicopters Mm. Um, but like you say bond comes out and slides down but while this is playing they have the whole bond theme playing which is appropriate like it works although one thing i would say is that they probably play it for a bit too long like this the bond theme plays over most of this big shootout that goes on and it it probably should have cut off a bit sooner because it's just a bit weird to hear the bond theme kind of maybe not in full but like a massive part of it you just don't normally get that even with the little nelly scene it wasn't played for that long uh, and for this one i actually almost got a little bit sick of it i'm like okay let's can we get some different music please because yeah. uh, it just kind of keeps going well the thing is it's played it does go on for a long time but that's because it's played twice and it because it, it does what the first one stops and then it oh, starts okay. again straight afterwards but the thing i found so weird about this i'm, I'm glad you brought up the one theme because i wrote it down so whilst they're attacking the helicopter Obviously, Blofeld gets distracted, so he's off somewhere. So I think he tells Gunter, I think that might be that, that character's name, one of the one of the henchmen, Blofeld's henchmen, to um, keep guard of Tracy. And they end up fighting and and her escaping. It's not very interesting. But the thing that is interesting is the way that she gets rid of him is she impales him on these nails that are on the wall. And it's something I noticed early on in the film i thought that's strange why are there like these spiky things just randomly coming out of the wall there so i'm glad it had a payoff at least it is very random that he just gets kind of yeah impaled on his back straight onto these but the bond theme actually ends with that it doesn't end with anything bond does it ends with her doing that and that's where you get like the twang of the end of it but uh it doesn't even let the whole bond theme end properly like, if you pay attention to it 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 cuts out the end and just and just puts the twang in early it's really oh, strange I didn't pick up on that because you know it's like dinner 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 and then twang it only does two dinner dinners well, that's not that's not right that's not okay <laughs> pull it last on the list get it ranked get honestly, it down it, last when you, <laughs> <laughs> when you notice it you think that's such a strange choice that they had to cut the bond theme early to make this scene work but anyway I do agree. The Bond theme is overplayed. Yeah, I mean, so alongside this, as you say, Tracy is fighting Gunter, the guard. He's no hands, let's be no. honest. Oh, who could be? Who? No one. Not many. Not even hands. Uh, but yeah, and it's... I find this Tracy and Gunter fight goes on for too long. Like, yeah. they have a fight, and then she's, like, swiping a... She hits someone with a bottle, and then, like, tries to jab him with a bottle, and then there's some wrestling going on, and then she like pushes him down the like down the stairs but then i think he like chokes her and then she like scratches his face and then like it like this just goes on for too long and i like what they were trying to do with like tracy kind of you know fighting back and not just being like oh no i've been captured like no, go james yeah oh james help me it's like yeah james is trying to help her but she is also trying to survive and i like that it just yeah, they they could have done with editing this scene down a bit, focus maybe a bit more on the explosions, just have a little bit of fighting. Just got a bit uncomfortable just seeing Gunter just trying to 
like capture Tracy and Tracy just doing horrible things to the man. Like no yeah. one's winning here. Uh, they could have cut this down and I think it would have been a bit stronger for it. Yeah, totally. However, one thing that I'm glad they didn't cut. So I was saying that this bit goes a bit mad. This is, <laughs> sorry, I was laughing because it's just, it's just great. So this is the scientist. This is a scientist. Yes. <laughs> I love this scientist. So whilst that's happening, Bond is trying to, I think he's trying to get to the lower bit where Blofeld's office was and the lab is, um, I guess to try and chase Blofeld, right? Yeah, I um, think it's so uh, Draco's men are rigging the place up to blow up, so that'll stop the plan, but uh, Bond is specifically trying to get Blofeld, who is in the facility. And yeah, we said earlier that it takes a little while. They, they, they showed how that the path that Bond took to get here, and it goes through like sort of icy bit and very, very different change uh, a very, very big change of a scenery sort of stuff. And at one point, he's about to go through a sort of a glass door <laughs> and in this corridor, this big glass wall. And this scientist just pops out of nowhere and literally throws a big potion bottle. What are they called? Those Like a flask, I a guess. Beaker, do a beaker? A beaker. That's it. He literally throws a, throws a giant beaker of acid or something that eats through the glass or plastic whatever it was it was great it was on it reminded me of like a crash bandicoot i was gonna say it was straight out crash bandicoot like he's just holding a it was like it was bubbling it was smoking and bubbling like oh because acid doesn't acid is just acid like (laughs) like you just have acid in a glass but no they've made it in that very uh, generic or like stereotypical looking beaker and flask and stuff like that and then they have it a weird color as well i can't remember but it's quite a bright color then they have it bubbling and then he's just like yeah he just lobs it at the wall (laughs) lobs it i'm so glad you thought of crash bandicoot too i was just oh i love that bit there's been a few parts of this film where i've gone that is so dumb but i love it yeah, like I, it, it cu- comes out of nowhere. You never see him before, and Bond just shoots him. Yeah, <laughs> and like, there's no bang, more scientists. He dead. was the only brave. Who's the only brave scientist who dare to fight back? Not all heroes wear names. <laughs> uh, but I think I got that slightly wrong. So I think Bond is searching the office so he knows the location of the women as well. Oh, because yeah. he gets one of the, that long spy camera, which might be the first time we see that camera. Spy camera. Yeah, because he takes pictures of that world map. Oh, right, right. The one that extends out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it comes back in other films, but I think that's the first time we see it. Hmm, I remember, you, you, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so after that amazing scientist scene, <laughs> uh, Love it. then basically Blofeld shows up and it becomes a little bit of a shootout. And uh, Bond is chasing Blofeld. We find out he only has five minutes and ten seconds until the whole place blows up. Uh, tracing is freaking out saying we need to go back for bond and draco's like nope he knows what's going on he knows the plan so knocks her out yeah. which because it's her dad and we know what tracy is like it's like i'll allow it <laughs> like, it, it, it was very much yeah it caught me off guard surely there's better ways to do that but no it just just punches her straight in the face yeah, he's kind of like initially. I was like, "Oh, that's not right." It's like a penalty in a in a football match. Like, let's review that. Take a look. It's like, mm. okay, not great, but you know, we'll allow it. It's fine. Given the Carry circumstances on. where it's about to blow up, I suppose. Not that we're advocating violence here, but you know, in in this in the context of the film, it's fine. But then, this is why I think it's odd that they say five minutes, ten seconds specifically, because we very quickly cut to 
both Bond and Blofeld just kind of jumping away from the facility and then it blowing up. Like, mm. I don't know why they highlighted the time when the time really had nothing to do with anything. No. Because it just blew up when they left. So it's a bit weird. They they specified 10 minutes and 10 seconds. Yeah, because they even have the close-up of the, the guy setting the, the timer on it, don't they? Yeah, like maybe they shot a load of footage which would have shown that more more obviously but decided to cut it down because again Blofeld is just going to escape and he does escape and Bond's just right behind him and it just happens that when Bond jumps off it blows up yeah yeah so I'm gonna be honest now Tom we mm-hmm. have mentioned that I watched this film rather late so <laughs> okay. given how given how long this film is and we are now very close to the end ish this whole scene with Bond and Blofeld and the Bob said I don't remember much of it. <laughs> right. I'm going to hand this over to you again. Okay, so it, it's it's very brief, this one. Uh, well, it's not actually that brief. I think it's actually quite intense. Or, or not intense, but like, there's quite a few layers to it. So basically, yeah. So Blofeld is running away from Bond, basically, after the base has been blown up. He gets in a bobsled and goes down this big bobsled uh, run, I, I think they're called. And Bond gets in another one and follows and what we get is a lot of they shoot each other a little bit. It, it's quite high speed, high action kind of here to the point where Blofeld shoots enough bullets and just misses and then just throws the gun at him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the hell with this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but weirdly enough, Blofeld then drops a grenade at his feet. I don't know if that was intentional, but then like f- throws it back, which then causes uh you know, Bond's bodstead does get flipped and he gets thrown out of the run. But then mm. Bond just runs ahead and then grabs onto Blofeld's bobsled and they have another wrestle. And th- this is another case of more odd fighting sounds being dubbed. Like, this might be some of the weirdest one here where we get, it's not just like, uh, uh, we get like these breathing oh. noises over the top where it's just, again, it's them two wrestling. So it, which is probably why it's more breathing noises because it's not them just punching each other. Like they are just wrestling each other on this and we just get some more weird noises, which, which took me out of it. But, but either way, I still like this scene. Like it is, I think it is pretty cool to see Bond directly chasing Blofeld. And unlike you only live twice getting kind of a payoff of them actually fighting each other. And the set Mm. piece of them being a bobsled where they're like moving extremely quickly, really cool. So despite the odd fighting sounds, I actually did quite like this fight as a, a final kind of showdown between Bond and Blofeld. Yeah, it, especially what you just said there about the speed of it all. Kind of, I think we said about this in the From Russia of Love podcast with the train and the, and the fight with, with Grant where it, you get that sense of danger partly because they're fighting but also because they're in this thing which is going very fast and loud. And so it's kind of the same thing here. Uh, although... Oh, and yeah, and the fact that, yeah, because Blofeld has been seen, been made to be seen as much more action oriented in this film, he, you know, he's getting in involved with the skiing and causing avalanches and everything. The fact, if we didn't have this, or at least something physical between the two characters, would have been a massive waste. So at least they have this. I still don't love this scene, if I'm going to be honest with you, because I think like, when it comes down to it, the actual fight is just a lot of like fumbling and it doesn't really look that good but if you think about what's going on i suppose it's 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 interesting i just think visually it's a little bit lacking um and then we get 
Well, I forgot that Blofeld comes back at the end scene, but I thought this was actually how Blofeld died. When <laughs> it looks like he dies. I definitely. mean, anyone would, right? He gets so so. Basically, they're they're fighting, and he's he's up higher whilst Bond is lower. And there's a tree branch over the Bob Bob sled. What are they called again? Runs. I, um, I called him Run. I, they probably have a better name. Yeah, there's there's like a branch hanging over, and he gets caught in it, like literally by his neck, gets caught in this tree branch, which should have killed him or probably even decapitated him i don't know <laughs> physics involved but uh yeah he just gets wedged in there and that's kind of like oh that's the end of that's the end of blofeld he's branched off hey that's hey. all folks it's not my words it's bond what's it oh that's right oh my yeah, god that wasn't me <laughs> oh my god i completely i was just thinking today for tom that's pretty good i give him that <laughs> oh, that was actually in the film yeah uh, yeah, great. Well done, George. But we do see Blofeld later in a neck brace, so there we go. <laughs> I did like that. I really liked the neck brace, honestly. <laughs> nice touch. Uh, yeah, and after that, Bond is then kind of flung forward off the bob's head, and a dog shows up and licks his face, and mm. he's like, good boy? It's like, what? did? <laughs> was I'm there not going to complain. Yeah, was a dog part of this film the whole time? behind the scenes (laughs) always in the background you could if you pause you can see the dog yeah opening the door for bond (laughs) and and yeah that's it that's kind of that blowfeld has been stopped the the world has been saved so we get a fade to i don't know some city which shows basically bond going to get the rings or something like that and we actually very quickly then cut to the wedding as we already heard, Tracy and Bond are, are going to get married. They already agreed. And we very quickly cut to the cer- the end of the ceremony where we zoom in on the ring. We see Tracy all dressed up in the wedding dress and Bond all dressed up. And they're, they're cutting a wedding cake. And this was very surreal seeing because M, Money, Penny, and Q are all there. And I like that they're all there. But it was such an odd feeling seeing all of them like in this wedding setting talking to bond getting married like i think that's what they were going for but like it was odd seeing them all out of the office environment like that yeah it was it was odd i do really like the wedding scene though i kind of wish that this was the whole film was just the wedding (laughs) (laughs) because you just get all the little the little bit between uh m and 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 Draco, they have a little little thing together, and you get Q and Bond talking together, and it's just really nice. And then you get oh, you get a uh, Money Penny crying, and because you know Bond's taken now, her dreams gone. <laughs> Maybe not dream, but yeah, that whole thing. And it's just really, it's really sweet. I really like this ending bit with the wedding. Yeah, it does really hammer home how well the characterization of M, Money, Penny, and Q and their relationship yeah. with Bond has been, even though we don't get a lot of time with these characters usually. But yeah, the fact that you can take them out of this setting and still have that relationship and have it feel different, but still those characters, it's uh, definitely a massive testament to those actors and uh, the writing of these films, especially just Q. It, yeah, it's just so nice having Q just like, well, I know we all haven't seen eye to eye, but mm. well done, Bond. Like, ah. Oh very sweet very sweet really is and that's the end of the film there we go <laughs> that's all <laughs> oh and also i have to say we get a hat scene 
So as Bond is about to go away and Money Penny is crying and looking sad, he he throws her hat at her and she catches it, which I'm like, that's, that's a really nice payoff for that scene. Bravo. It really is. It really is. I, I just, I'm not, I, I'm not joking. I would love to have had the whole film just be, uh, you know, everyone drinking and just, all the fun of a wedding. Oh, I want to go to a wedding if you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think? Like Bond and Q and M doing? Oh, what's it? The not the tango, the the line, the line where you all go in a like. Oh, oh the conga, the yeah, conga, da, 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 da. <laughs> or singing Mr. Blue Sky, maybe <laughs> doing the chicken dance. Oh, oh what a laugh! What a laugh that would have been. If only we next were time. Next time. So with the wedding all gone ahead and been very successful, Bond and Tracy are all in their gear and they're now married. So they get in the car and that's all covered in flowers and they're driving down the street or down this road. And basically they're talking about being married and their life that they're going to have together. She's like, free boys, free girls. And uh, Bond says, darling, we have all the time in the world, that classic line and... We have a car that drives past tooting their horn, congratulating them. And that basically triggers Bond to say, yeah, maybe it's a little bit too much. Uh, so decides to kind of pull over to the side and starts taking down the flowers. But as that is happening, we see another car go by, but we get a, quickly, a quick shot showing it's it's Bunt. Bunt oh. is driving the... No, Blofeld is driving the car? Yeah, Blofeld's driving, Bunt's got the gun. <laughs> Yeah, and Bunt's got the gun. He does a sh- he shoots or sorry, Bunt uh, shoots at at them. Bond gets down and is like, "Ah, oh, that's Blofeld!" and instantly gets in the car. Is all ready to go, but looks to his left and sees that uh, Tracy has been shot in the head and has been has been killed. And then we get a scene of basically uh, a cop comes or a policeman comes by and. Yeah, then we get George Laserby saying it's kind of basically breaking down because as mm. Bond, his wife has died and kind of being a little bit in denial, but trying to stay in that good, you know, yeah, in denial, really saying it's all right. It's all right. Uh, she's just having a rest. We have all the time in the world. Um, and then it shows the bullet hole in the windshield where the bullet went through and killed Tracy. And, and that's it. And the credits appear. Uh, yeah. So so I'm just going to say I love this scene. It's such a gut punch uh, and it's just really well done. And I, I know you've criticized George Lazenby acting for this film and I, I don't, I get it, but I don't quite agree. But I think in this one, he just does such a, such a great job. Like he really sells someone who's kind of, he just sells it. Like it's quite complicated what they're trying to do here. It's not just someone who's just grieving and stuff. It's kind of done in a little bit more of a, a nuanced way, but I even really like the setup. You know, something bad's going to happen. And it was so smart to have a car drive past and to be a positive thing to then have a second car drive past and kind of subvert that where it's like, Oh no, the next car is actually an assassination attempt. Like Mm. it just plays out so smartly to kind of lead to this moment. But again, you know, it's coming, you know, something is coming and yes, maybe they ham it up a little bit with the way they're talking, but it's, uh, it just really kind of brings it all together to again, that big gut punch of him die of, of uh, Tracy being killed. And, that shot of the bullet shield is so brutal and the fact that you just see her with the bullet in her head and she's dead it's like 
that yeah they really don't pull their punches on this one and it's like it's it's fantastic i i really enjoyed this this ending scene yeah it's a great scene is it for all of my issues with george lazenby's acting uh throughout the film as you said he he does sell it in this last one he does a good job um the way he's sort of like caressing and the hand with the hand and everything like it's you can really get that that feeling uh you know what i'm gonna say though or maybe you don't but it's such a great scene that is just so quickly ruined so quickly ruined by the bond theme i i hate i hate the ending of this film because of that it could have been so good there's just no reason for that not to be we have all the time in the world right there's just no reason for that song to not play instead it's it boggles my mind that they would have done that when they they, when they were editing they must have seen that thought oh yeah that's it that's a good ending Right, just stick this on the end and and maybe didn't even watch it. Put <laughs> just the Bond that, uh... theme in. There we go. And I wouldn't mind if the Bond theme was playing, but give it a few seconds. Give it just a moment for the audience to go, ah, oh, you know, just breathe and take in what's happened. But you don't. It plays maybe, I don't know, less than five seconds after the Bond will return or whatever it says on screen at the time with the windshield in the background and that gunshot, which... Uh, was that used for Spectre or No Time to Die? The, the Spectre, if you're it talking Spectre about that. Was Spectre they use that? Yeah. yeah. Um, which is, you know, for Bond fans, it's quite an iconic image because of this very reason. And it's just it's, uh, it's such a waste. That's oh, just... I think, oh, I might be wrong on that. I know No Time to Die has all that references to this film. But when you say bullet shot, I think of the Spectre logo. You know mm, I, mean? I think it is Spectre. I think you're right. But yeah, I, I, I really do like this last bit. Um, I just wish they hadn't put the Bond theme in. I'm, I'm not going to bash. I'm not going to say it ruined it because you still had the scene in question, but just a poor, a poor choice for sure. It's uh, yeah, it's definitely a shame. I think it was a deliberate choice to intentionally take out that gut punch at the end. Like I think they think I, I think they were like this is probably a bit too far, so let's just have that Bond theme play to tie it a little bit more i think they kind of chickened out a little bit and they didn't want people leaving the cinema feeling that very last moment and wanted to try and move away from that a little bit which i don't think is the right choice at all but i think it was a very deliberate choice to to suck out some of that uh how depressing it is you know what i think that you that does make a lot of sense because i was reading about uh the production of this and the director who we've said only did one film said that he would have done the next one diamonds are forever if george lazenby had stayed but during the production of the film he he quit so they knew they knew this was the one film for him because the plan was to have this film end at the wedding and the death of tracy occur in the pre-title sequence of the next film ah and that would have been great yeah, that would have been yeah, a great, definitely. That great definitely choice. would have been the one to do it, yeah. Yeah, and so you can see why they've had to... Like, crap, we've got to stick it on this one now. And then, you're right, they probably saw that and thought, oh, that, that's too bleak of an ending for Bond. We need it to be more positive. So then they, they just stick on the, the theme as a as a bit of a plaster to it. Totally makes sense, and I think you're, yeah, probably bang on, but it's just a shame they had to do that. Yeah, you're right. It's a shame we talked about it before, and we're, we're, we've been here for a while now, so I won't go on about it. But if they could, if they could have executed their plans for this and keep the consistency with the actors and the consistency with the story, this would have just been like incredible. 
Like yeah. there's so much potential to have this all pay off and be one of the most like satisfying, interesting kind of storylines in films. Like yeah. going across like seven different films. That would have been amazing if they could have done it. But Yeah, I mean, imagine that in a pre-tarter sequence of Tracy dying and then the rest of the film being the revenge. Oh, it would have been amazing. Yeah, go into Shirley Bassey theme. <laughs> like what? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that was on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, I went last time with my ranking first, so I am going to push it over to you, Joe, to start. Well, interesting, interesting occurrence here. So my ranking has actually changed midway through this recording. What? <laughs> I Breaking I've, news, this I've just changed, in. I've changed my mind because of this discussion. And I think because I, it was very late, like late when I was watching and I was probably getting a bit grumpy being tired, I think I was a bit more harsh on this than I should have been. So... Given what we've said now, uh, my my ranking at the moment, uh, for Russia of Love, Thunderball, Doctor No, You Only Live Twice, Goldfinger, I'm going to put this at, out of six now, I'm going to put it at five. So I'm going to put it above Goldfinger, but still below the rest of the Sean Connery films for me. Okay. Um, because, mainly because of, I just don't like Sean, uh, I don't like George Lazenby particularly well. Uh, and I think that's, that's the main thing that kind of takes away for me for this film. I think it's also a bit too long and a little bit repetitive of some things. There's definitely a lot of good stuff, though. Definitely a lot of good stuff, a lot of good stunts. As I say, that whole section with the chase, basically, from the clinic up until um, the barn scene, great. Like, really good stuff. But the rest of it had a few issues for me. Um, and I think... I did touch on this, but I think the the whole idea of wanting to have this push in the continuation of the character and making sure the audience knew it's the same Bond was just a little bit ham-fisted and didn't, I don't know, I, I almost feel, feel like with the Blofeld that they chose, and I don't hate the Blofeld in this film uh, and the interpretation of it, but I think it would have been stronger had they not had such a uh, in-your-face uh, go at, at linking the films together um so i think it was maybe a bit of a misguided choice creatively with that but you know you've got to give it to them like this is this was the first time this happened so it's not going to be perfect there you go yeah okay so i i think for me the the reference to the other bond films didn't stand out that much to me but i could totally get how they could for anyone else i did not notice the the whistling midget <laughs> no uh, oh. quite as much go back and um, watch so so I was able to separate this out. And I think to me, what stands about this film, that this is a very unique standalone Bond film that doesn't, there's no other Bond film like this one. And, you know, for better, for worse, this makes it very unique. And I would say a special type of Bond film. You know, it's a different Bond who only did it once. It's a different actor. And it feels very kind of stripped back. Like the closest Bond film to compare it to is Dr. No. And I think that's really interesting. I really like that. I think that's really that's really cool. And my general feeling on Jails Lazenby is I, I actually did quite like him as Bond. Uh, as you know from the previous podcast, I kind of like the bit more calm version of Bond. And I don't really like the kind of super cocky way that sometimes Sean Connery played him. I think he went a bit too far in films like Goldfinger. And I kind of liked You Only Live Twice because he dialed it down a little bit. There was a bit more balance there. And I think George Lazerby not being that good of an actor and being very early to it 
naturally brings that because he he's he can't do any better <laughs> like <laughs> it's almost like he's accidentally a bond i actually can really get behind because all he has to do is kind of look good and shoot dudes and have other people do the stunts and it works so for me i think he does a good job yes some of the dubbing is just kind of bad and there are some lines that he delivers very poorly but i think he looks the part dresses the part and kind of I can appreciate that uh, about him. So I think he does a solid job and he kind of adds to the mystique of this film and its kind of uniqueness. And overall, like you say, yeah, the the action could be better, but there's still some action I really liked with the chases and stuff. And I think that stuff was really good. So for me, this comes down to the Dr. No baseline again. Did I like this more or less than Dr. No? And I think I took more from this film than that film like i think there's just more that makes this kind of stand out that i did kind of end up enjoying and you know haven't even touched on tracy you know we've praised diana riggs enough yeah. and she really elevates this film and there was just more elements in this film that really worked to me uh work for me than dr no um so for me my ranking currently before putting on a majesty secret services from russia with love fundable dr no goldfinger you only live twice so for me, it's above Dr. No, but when I think, do I like it more than Fundable? I think I probably had more fun with Fundable. Like overall, it was just a more enjoyable experience. Uh, but on a Majesty Secret Service, you know, again, does things its own way, which again, bloody Bond films. They keep making different <laughs> ones with a different feel and it makes them hard to rank. How oh. dare they? Oh, damn them. Uh, so yeah, again, it makes it hard to rank because it is so different. There is no direct comparison here. The closest is Dr. No, but this is still more polished and has a very different feel to it. Uh, so for me, it goes below Fundable, uh, but above Dr. No. Again, had more fun with Fundable and more enjoyable and more bombastic, and I like the underwater stuff. But uh, while this feels similar to Dr. No, I like how unique and different it is and some of the performances and some of the stunts. Uh, to me, makes it a better film. So it goes at number three for me between Fundable and, and Dr. No. Oh, okay. It's it's good that we're now uh, our lists are starting to actually separate a little bit. We're getting past that initial hurdle of them maybe being quite similar. Um, yeah, it bra- took long enough. I think it was only off. last episode where we did separate. But you having Goldfinger as your bottom one and not liking <laughs> it is uh is helping helping this out quite a bit. Yep, that has not changed. <laughs> <laughs> I was thought like, is Joe going to say no? I did quite like it. He's like, no. <laughs> No, I still like this more, so yeah. Okay, cool. So that was on a Majesty Secret Service. That was quite a ride. Again, I very much enjoyed going back to this one. And it's such a unique film that this to me really made me think like I'm so glad we're doing this rewatch because I never would have like got to experience this such different kind of version of Bond. Mm. You know, for better or for worse, but I wouldn't got to have seen this again for a while if we didn't do this. So you know, it, it proved to me how kind of how much of a fun idea this is and how much I'm enjoying it. I'm going to be enjoying it even more so next time. Oh, yes. Yeah, because this is Live and Let Die next week, right? You keep telling yourself that. <laughs> well, oh, I have to do the outro. I can't say it's not Live and Let Die. I can't say it wrong. <laughs> you can't lie to the audience, Tom. I can't, yeah, I can't lie to the I can lie to myself, but I can't lie to the audience. Quite right. All right, let's wrap this up. So thank you very much for listening to the Bond Revisited podcast. Please join us again next week when the Bond Revisited podcast will return with Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs>